Hey everyone, if you want to see the mod file in action, well now you can. Here's some upcoming dates. On Saturday the 2nd of June, I'll be at the West End Working Men's Club and Institute, Leicester, for Hope Wrestling. Tickets available, hopewrestling.co.uk. On Friday the 8th of June and Saturday the 9th of June, I'll be at the Download Festival as part of the WWE NXT Tour with the WWE United Kingdom Championship qualifying matches. Tickets available at downloadfestival.co.uk. On Sunday the 10th of June, I'll be at the O2 Academy Sheffield for Progress Wrestling. Tickets available at buytickets.at. Tuesday the 12th of June, I'll be at the Future Shock Academy doing a seminar. Tickets and information available at facebook.com forward slash futureshockwrestling. So please be sure to come out, support myself and the wrestling boys and girls of British Wrestling as each week we tear it apart. everyone, how's it going and welcome to episode 79 of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. Now you see there's a bit of discrepancy because some people might look at the episode last week and be like, well that was 79, but I apparently missed out 78, so last week's episode was uh, episode 78 and this week's is episode 79, so apologies if there was any confusion there, there was a few tweets that people did tweet out at me, but uh, yeah, welcome to yet another episode, if you've, if you've we're annoyed by the number system and I'm guessing you're an avid listener and you know that this voice belongs to the undisputed king of the mods, the mod father of professional wrestling, Flash Morgan Webster. Or more important than that, you know, for the next 45 minutes to the hour, to the hour and a half, however long this wonderful conversation with Dean Allmark goes this week, I'm usually your host, sometimes your facilitator for all these chats, discussions, gatherings, you know me, I absolutely love that word, gatherings. I love a, I love a good gatherings, well, for most, that's why, that's why I use the word. Uh, with your wrestling favourites, or as I like to call them, my uh, my wrestling friends. But yeah, it's been a it's been a good old week. It's been uh, it's been a fun one. I headed up and did the podcast with Dean about three four hours ago, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, it's coming to you as always. Not on a Wednesday. Um, I I don't know what's going on at the moment. I think I have full weekends. And then when I come off the road, if I haven't been able to record one, I'm now um, being able to go out and search out people that I want to do podcasts with. But if you've been on the, the road all weekend and Monday's your first day off, the last thing you want to do on a Tuesday is jump back in the car. So I end up jumping in the car on Wednesdays now, it seems, and then uh, putting the podcast out Thursday morning. So this podcast, I guess, just comes to you free of charge every week. I can't really say when the podcast will get released anymore. I'm just going to say this podcast comes to you free of charge every week. And that's on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you get your podcast from. I have uh, reached out to Spotify to see how I get it on Spotify. And I guess we're just waiting now. If anyone out there knows how to bypass it or knows how to make it a little bit quicker, then please hit me up. Let me know because I've been, uh, been trying now and... I've had no feedback off them, but that's someplace I definitely want to get on. But yeah, it comes to you free charge every week. And we're able to do that in thanks to in part, thanks to our wonderful sponsors, pinsandnacklesmerchandise.com. 
I just got some lovely new t-shirts from them. Um, I won't be posting them for a while. Those uh, they're just ones I'm going to keep in the house. And then when I feel the time is right to release them, I'll release them. But it was a design that I liked. And I thought I'd uh, go get it done and see what it was like. And they're absolutely wonderful. But yeah, pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com. They do some great stuff there. They've got graphic designers attached to them as well. So if you're looking for a graphic designer to design something for you, then you can reach out to them. And they'll put you in touch with some of their great team. But it's not just t-shirts they do. They also do hoodies. They do embroidery. They do snapbacks. They do uh, banners, flags. They do everything. They do drum skins, drumsticks. If, if you can think of it, then they'll probably do it. If, if they don't do it, they'll figure a way to do it. Um, Shannon, Tom... And the rest of the team over there are absolutely wonderful. So, of course, that is pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com. And they're helping us keep this podcast free. So if you need any of those things I've just told you about, if you're a wrestler looking for the best place to get stuff designed, or you're a fan, I don't know, maybe you're going on a, on a, on a hen do or a stag do and you need some stuff printed, they're absolutely brilliant. They can get that done for you. Um, of course, if you do want to support the podcast straight up, if you want to say, well, I don't nearly need any of that stuff from there, Flash. Um, but how can I support the podcast that I love listening to every week? Well, you can do that uh, by heading over to morganwebster.bigcartel.com and checking out what I've got there. I've been meaning to for the next week or two now, uh, the last couple of weeks, to update to update the uh, the store. People asking me about the uh, scooter t-shirts. I do have some left and I do need to get them updated. I might even possibly put the uh, the colourful Morgan will tear us apart t-shirts and might possibly put them on as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But there's some stuff over there. There's signed prints. There's some t-shirts. So definitely go ahead over there and pick up something if you want to support me. And then, of course, support the podcast. That would be great if you could do that. Of course, I do say it every week. If you can't afford to do it, I understand sometimes it's tough. Then uh, maybe just a cheeky shout out on social media. Maybe a, a cheeky subscribe uh, rate review on whatever platform you're using just makes my life a little bit easier pushing me up those lists and opens me up to new listeners so any of that would be perfect of course if you want to give me a cheeky shout out on the social media I am at flash underscore morgan on the twitter I am facebook.com forward slash flash morgan webster on the facebook and I am at flash morgan webster on the instagram or if you want to book me coming for an upcoming seminar gig uh, live wrestling friends podcast I have had a few of those offered recently. Unfortunately, the dates clashed. I couldn't get them done. But uh, yeah, all that can be done at flashmorganatlive.co.uk. Again, that email is flashmorganatlive.co.uk. But I say it every week. I do love seeing those tweets. I love getting those Facebook posts. I love seeing those Instagram notifications because I love it when people say they're listening to it. And I love getting those uh, emails. So please, keep them coming, people. This week's guest is the wonderful Dean Allmark. I saw Dean uh, recently at the WWE week, and I say weekend, it's Monday and Tuesday, but it feels like a weekend. So, uh, of course, when I did 205 Live, Dean was on SmackDown. We didn't talk about it on the podcast, but Dean's on SmackDown. And uh, he had a lot of fun being an extra. He was also on Raw as well. And he's just a real testament to somebody who's done so much in wrestling has been around so much and some people might give get given those opportunities and they might scoff at it or they might think they're above it but Dean even being this long in the business now and he's been to Japan which we talk about he's done TNA which we talk about but 
he loved every second of it. And it's always a pleasure to see Dean because he always got a big smile on his face. And he always uh, always has this energy and this passion. Just loves being around wrestling. And he said himself that he never kind of sets himself up with goals or uh, expects too much of stuff. And it's it's been great because it means he's never really disappointed. But he's somebody that's got a work ethic. And uh, he just keeps on killing it. And he's one of my favorite people to watch. There's a great match with him and James Mason from Real. Go watch that. It's about 30 minutes. And it's uh, British wrestling at its best. And it's true British wrestling as well. But yeah, headed up to Spittle, I think it is. I thought it was Birkenhead, but it's Spittle. Headed up there today and got to uh, sit down with Dean and have a wonderful chat. Uh, this weekend in review then. Uh, Thursday, which should guess the weekend, but I guess it's the weekend review. Thursday, headed to the Sugar Mill in Stoke, which is funny enough, is where, where Dean is originally from. And I went to watch Miles Kane. Um, some people might have seen that uh, in the past. I've had a little bit of an exchange with him on Twitter. And he's, you know, he's got one of my t-shirts. And uh, got chatting to him on Instagram. And I said, well, I'm free this date. I'm probably going to uh, pop up. I'm going to grab a ticket. Let me know when. Let me know when they go on sale. And I'll, uh, I'll definitely go grab one. And he was like, don't be silly. He was like, come, pop you on the guest list. So me and Jordan headed up there. And we got to uh, we got to get in to watch the... Uh, to watch the gig and it was a fantastic gig but just before it started he drops me a little message and said do you all get in okay we say of course and then he says come up and say hi so I popped up and I've been a huge Miles King fan for a very very long time and I just got to uh, sit and chill and chat to Miles King and it was absolute pleasure I got to see him before the gig saw the gig which he was absolutely brilliant if you haven't seen if you haven't seen him on this tour definitely make sure to he's absolutely killing it and then got to hang out a little bit with him afterwards. What blew my mind is he's a huge, he's a huge, well, it didn't blow my mind. He's a huge wrestling fan. I already know that. But he's he's also a big British wrestling fan. He knew of me. He knew of Travis Banks. He knew of uh, Zach Gibson. And it was just a, a pleasure to to have a little bit of a chat with him. One of the uh, one of the cool things as well is his new album's called Coup de Gras. And if you're a wrestling fan, he'll probably know where that comes from. But uh, yeah, he's he says he said to me that it started as a joke between him and a certain WWE wrestler, and before we knew it, it was in lights, and in the back of his, at the back of the stage, and the album was called it, and it, we had a good laugh talking about that, but yeah, he's a great chap, and uh, hopefully I run into him again, hopefully he can make his way to a British wrestling show very soon, because he's very hectic, but uh, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun meeting him, and then Saturday I headed down to Cheltenham, where I took on Travis Banks in a sexy, sexy dance-off, um, where if he won, he got a title shot, in which he did, of course. You can never out-sexy dance, super-sexy Travis Banks. And he then earned himself a title shot, which he took immediately. And uh, myself and Travis then had a great little match, which uh, wasn't without controversy. Uh, referee went down more than once. And, of course, Eddie Dennis and the rest of Nothing to Prove decided to get involved. I feel like things are just going to get worse at Attack. And uh, I'm very interested to see how this story develops. So if you're an avid Attack fan, I know that you'll be uh, very interested to see how this is going to go. If you're not, then maybe this is a place you really should be looking. You love what Eddie's doing at Progress with this this heel character. You'll love what he's doing at Attack. And he takes more of an active role as well. And I'm very, very excited to see where that goes. Sunday then I headed to Progress where it was 1978. Uh, of course, I spent me hours finding this this attire for me to wear to be this 1978 mod. It took me hours, hours upon hours. But it was myself and Mark Haskins. Oh, the the punk rock cowboy Mark Haskins. 
versus Mills and Mayhew. A lot, a lot of fun. Um, and we picked up the win. So we got two points on this on this road to Wembley, this Thunder Bastard round robin tournament, which will then decide in what order we go in at Wembley. But yeah, we got two points, and I guess now we're drawn first place with Grizzle Young Veterans and Aussie Open. I do believe, I guess, it will completely change over the next couple of weeks, months. But uh, yeah, at the moment, we're at the top of the board. And then a uh, day or two in the gym, and then headed up to speak with Dean Olmark. But I think that uh, I think that really does sum everything up. A uh, lot of fun at attack, a lot of fun at progress, and lots of fun chilling with Miles Kane. Um, I guess all's left to say to you guys is uh, sit back and relax. What is an absolute wonderful, and it really is, it's a wonderful chat with the incredible Dean Allmark. Enjoy. How long do we go? Like uh, as, long, as long as whatever. Okay. Yeah, put it on. It's already started. It's all. Oh, it's it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I used to do them 45 minutes and then my friend Ricky uh, from America said, because they have like long journeys over there, don't they? Said like, I know you're trying to do it 45 minutes like a lot of the other ones do, but he's like, if I've got a nine hour journey, an hour and a half to two hour podcast is fantastic. Oh yeah. So I just started going as long as one. I did one with Justin Sizem. I think that was like an hour 40. I've done ones that are only 37 minutes long. So I just make it up as I go along. Yeah, I do tend to like blab on. No, that's, but, uh, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> that's really and so I always say to people as well, like we'll have if you've got a story and you start going on tangents, I never stop people going on tangents because I love tangents. Are you just going? Because it's not an inter- like I always say, to people, it's not an interview. I don't need to interview people. Yeah, we're just we're just we're just chatting. Yeah, because so. I, I love one of my favorite podcasts is Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, I mean, big Rogan and it's fan. just like he'll have the, three hours non-stop like a GSP one the other day I was just like this is amazing especially if you're doing something yeah you know what I mean you've got something to do just stick your headphones or, or, or even a long drive long you drive, know what yeah. I mean just get you through I listened to his woman Lance Armstrong recently so oh, yeah yeah I, I typed in like top 10 Joe Rogan podcast and then just because he never deletes any of them either so you can just scroll through yeah. scroll through yeah. so when I found him and listened to that one that was that was pretty good this one's called Fight Companions which you can like uh, sync up with the, the UFC events oh really uh, so they'll just like they'll do a podcast while watching a UFC event and they've obviously got the beers on the go it's just it's just hilarious especially if like Eddie Bravo's there yeah because he's got like all these conspiracy theories that he's into and, the, and the, they, the they just get on. into some weird stuff and sometimes they don't even talk about the fights <laughs> <laughs> crazy uh, but how I usually like to start these um, is What's your earliest memory of wrestling? When can you like you remember kind of falling in love with wrestling or your, your earliest memory? So uh, it's kind of a funny one. Like I always say, my first one because uh, my grand, grand my granddad was a, a big wrestling fan, and uh, I remember it clear as day uh, when my, my granddad sat me down. And he was like, "Take a look at this," and uh, the match on the TV was Hakeem versus Sabah Simba. Oh really? That was the first ever match that I ever saw, and I was just like, my mind was blown straight. Or was like, like all these color, like just like these big grown men, you know what I mean, uh, in a ring. And I was just, I think I must have been about six or something like that. And I was just like, from that minute on, it was just wrestling was like the the th- the thing. Just so I just, hooked. I just wanted to watch like wherever my mom and dad took me. They bought me like a, a wrestling ring with wrestling figures and to keep me quiet, they just stick me in the corner with these wrestling figures and I just play with the wrestling figures there in the corner for hours on end, you know. So you were uh, born and bred in, in Stoke? In Stoke-on-Trent, yeah. Yeah, we're in Stoke. Uh, so uh, my first house was uh, in a place called Ball Green 
and then uh, we ended up moving to a place called Norton. Oh, I know Norton. Yeah. yeah. Well, I live near there, so we had to yeah, cross yeah. the car. So, um, what was that bringing like in, in Stoke? So, you see your grandparents, close to your grandparents, and. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Um, my, uh, my grandparents on my mum's side had split up uh, by the time I was born, I think. Uh, and then my, mom, uh, my dad's mum and dad are still alive now, and they're, they're still together. But yeah, it was my mum's dad who's now passed away. He was the one that got me into wrestling. He was like the big wrestling fan. So uh, yeah, the upbringing, uh, obviously, uh, like many families in Stoke, we didn't have much money or anything like that. So uh, so it was just, yeah, a wrestling ring of figures. <laughs> that was my uh, that was my go-to for everything in my daily life then. So so did you just plan, like as you as you got older, did you plan on being a wrestler? Was that the, was that the plan? No, or? so when I moved to uh, Norton, it was like on a, it was on a road called Harrison Harrison Road, which was a big massive bank, and I lived at the bottom, and at the top of the bank lived uh, uh, a guy who came to be my best friend, uh, still is now Robbie Dynamite. He lived like ten houses away, and he was a year older than me, but everybody knew him as like the wrestling kid. You know what I mean? So uh, we lived together, uh, close together, and uh, I was like oh, another guy who likes wrestling. So yeah, we used to. Uh, our families became friends and we used to watch wrestling all the time and I used to go on holiday with his mum and dad uh, to Rill and we used to go watch the oh, that's awesome yeah the shows in the Coliseum there uh, Oreg shows in Rill so that was cool seeing like Finley and Danny Collins and people like that that, so that that's, awesome. that's that's real cool. Yeah. Like I was like when I talk to people and say like me and me and Hitch like well both being like mates since we were like fifteen and like, started building rings in his back garden. But we became friends because he was building rings in his garden and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Whereas I love the fact like you guys were even younger than that. And, yeah, and we were like seven and eight, something like that. And still And we used to like just wrestle in the garden and stuff like that in his living room. Yeah, crazy, right? So how did you how did you get involved with wrestling? Because I guess there's a, there's a big jump. Yeah, so obviously, um, growing up, there was a couple of years where I kind of went off wrestling, and uh, as everyone does, <laughs> as everybody does, and obviously went and did the football thing. Really loved playing football, and then uh, it was when I actually left school. Uh, I started the the gym with Rob, and it was like a three story building. Uh, so yeah, joined the gym there. We were training on the top floor, and then uh, the guy in the gym said on the second floor, which was like a Muay Thai gym, there was a wrestling school opening in the little back room there. They had like a like a, a room with like mats, and they were like, yeah, this wrestling school's opening there. Uh, so on the opening weekend, I went along with Rob. He lent me the money to train that day, and uh, yeah, hooked ever since. So when you say it was just like open, oh, so we, did you guys hear it and just be like? No, this this yeah, we were like this is crazy. Like in the same building that we train, like I'd only been like at the gym probably like a month or something like that. And Rob was like, I think I think they had a show in a place called Jolly's in Stoke, and uh, Rob was at that event, and they said like in the interval or whatever, oh, there's actually a wrestling school opening up, and uh, in the in the Swift House building in Stoke in Hanley. So we went along that first day, and yeah. We would like just hoop straight away because me and Rob were like, oh, like we've already been like wrestling each other for years. So <laughs> <laughs> we already had like a match planned and everything like that. So uh, we went in there and we were just like, I, I think they were a bit blown away because like we were like doing Germans and stuff like on this. So you guys were proper, proper back, proper little backyarders. Then. Yeah, but it was just like, yeah, it was literally just a backyard on the grass. 
just like because obviously Rob's always he had like a, a gym in his bedroom so he was already lifting weights so <laughs> I can like, imagine when yeah. you say telling me like you guys like seven year old I can imagine a little uh, I can imagine him still jacked <laughs> yeah. seven year old walking around <laughs> yeah protein protein with his breakfast and that from the age of seven uh, but obviously with him being so so um, so built from an early age he was just launching me all over the place uh, yeah so as soon as we got there he was just like yeah let's just do what we do in the garden and Obviously, bumping on the mats was a welcome because everybody else was like, "Oh, there's no ring; it's just these mats." But towards it was like, "There's no grass." There's yeah, there's no mats. grass, no concrete. Yeah, this is awesome. You know what I mean? Let's jump out the windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you say that, like you got there and everyone else, there's no ring. Did you think when you went there there was going to be a ring? Is because I always think the perception mm. and reality never ever. Sometimes they line up, they don't. I remember hearing that the Wabo had a, a ring in his garden, I can remember, like, expecting to go down there and see um, the performance centre in his back yeah, garden yeah. in my head. Yeah. When I got there, it was just some carpet on the floor with yeah. sticks and hose pipes for ropes. Yeah, I think just always me as a person, I've always been, like, never really, like, I was always quite a warrior, you know what I mean? I was just, like, I never expected anything to be, like, as good as it it was it, it it actually turned out to be so I was just like I had no expectations or anything like that I was just like oh let's go along the first day and it never in my brain I was never like oh there's there's no ring or anything like that I was just like oh no this this is wrestling school it's it, it's cool you know what I mean but anything I've ever done in my life always I've always had like I've always worried about it till I had like low expectations so everything when something happens I'm always like. Well, actually, that was pretty good, you know. What I mean? <laughs> because you expect yeah. the worst. Yeah, you, you must have it times yourself. You, yeah, of you've been like booked on a show against a guy, and you thought, "Oh my god, like this is going to be shit or whatever," and it's actually turned out quite good. Well, that's just been like the story of my my career. You know what I mean? Was, I never wanted to be a wrestler or anything like that. It just kind of kind of happened, and and anything that good, anything good that happens wasn't expected. It was just like, "Oh, this is actually quite cool." You know what I mean? Who was the who was the trainers at the school? Uh, so uh, the main trainer was a guy called Chris Curtis. Um, he goes by the name Chris Matthews as well, uh, and Keith Meyer was okay. was one of the trainers too. Uh, Chris Curtis was the one that was like uh, we used to do three hours on a Tuesday night and five hours on a Sunday. He was the one that was there taking the money every week, and then Keith would come down whenever he had spare time, like every now and again. Uh, yeah, um, the train itself after like teaching us how to bump and telling us that you have to work the left side apart from that it was just like yeah get on get on with it do whatever you want you know what I mean so uh Robbie's always had like a a good mind for wrestling and and we used to just we used to go to Manchester on the train um and take bin bags with us and there used to be like a tape trader there and uh, you walked in it was like a shop and the walls were just all tapes and they had cut catalogues with all the all the matches that were on these tapes and we used to just spend like a hundred quid like I used to have a job in a, a factory and all my money from my job in the factory used to get spent at the weekend buying these te tapes of like companies like FMW and Mishinoku Pro and, and AAA tapes and uh, and the old world of sport tapes and we used to just watch and watch and watch uh, with every spare minute that we had and, and when we used to get to the rest of the school that's when we used to try this stuff 
But like as we were saying in the economy, it's so much easier now for everyone. Like everything's at touch of a button. If you talk about a match of FMW, I guarantee you I could find it in the next 30 seconds on my phone. Just Google it. Yeah. yeah and it, obviously in uh, 99 when we started training to wrestle, there was no no like Google or anything like that. And I, I, think, the, I think the internet was like dial up and I didn't have a mobile phone. Definitely, definitely not until probably 2002. So it was just like, yeah, these these tapes from my life. How would, how did you find the tape trader? That's uh, again. Um, Robbie was always on the case. He was just <laughs> like he was. He had like uh, PlayStations imported from Japan and and all the. So he's a good friend to have. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember he, he was the guy that got me uh, got me playing Street Fighter for the first time. I was like, oh my god, this Street Fighter is awesome! And it was just anything cool that was out. Robbie had it straight away. And uh, he was he was always like my big brother, you know what I mean? He was like, oh, there's this tape trader in Manchester. I think he must have uh, read it in a magazine or something like that. So uh, whatever Robbie said, we do, we, we just did. Without <laughs> question, he should just drag me along. And yeah, that's how it went. And and obviously we stayed, um, stayed uh, training at that place in Stoke for like a year and a half. And, and Rob and uh, my other friend, Kid Cool, they were kind of getting the two feet. We were just doing like, so they started running shows and it was just one show a month. And the rule was like, uh, you weren't allowed to wrestle for anybody else in Stoke. That that old rule. Oh, so, only, only in Stoke though? Was that the... Only in Stoke, but then if we had like a show, it was like we were committed to like getting there and putting the ring up and stuff. So uh, Rob and Nathan were like, well, we haven't got jobs. Uh, we're going to go get in touch with Brian Dixon and uh, at all star because they because Rob again knew that they ran shows because like, Robbie's on the case yeah he was on the case he was like this is where we need to go and because I didn't have any expectations I was like well this is cool like this is our little wrestling school and we need to like plan this storyline for this show and we need to do this and Rob always had like that vision he always wanted to be a wrestler that was the thing with Rob so he was like this isn't good for me I need to to move on so uh Rob and Nathan ended up leaving the company, and I, 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 I kind of felt loyal to them, you know what I mean, because they gave them a start, and they went and started doing the camps and stuff. Um, and it was only when I got made redundant for my factory job um, that Rob said, like, this would be a good time to to come on the camps. Now you could you could earn as much money doing this, like if if there's enough shows as you were in the factory, you know. Um, what what do you used to do in the factory? Uh, I was, I was what was called a shop lad, like a labourer. So there was like forty upholsterers. It was a furniture factory. Uh, forty, uh, forty upholsterers, and my job was to get their cardboard foam, and the big frames for the furniture, and put it on their desk so they could make the furniture and put the lever on. So, so it was like a non-stop job. You know, as soon as you get there in the morning, and they were on piecework, so they only got paid for what they made. So it was like literally they're all shouting at one time. Yeah. We need this. We need this, and they kick off on you if you weren't. Because you cost enough. their money. Yeah. yeah, if they just sat there doing nothing. So it was a horrible job, uh, and it was I did it for like a year and a half, and then when I got made redundant, I was like, thank God, because my my dad was always like, you need to get a job, and he he was he's one of these dads that he doesn't like you sitting around doing nothing. You know what I mean? So uh, I could have never been like off work or anything like that. Uh, obviously I left school at 15 and as soon as I left school he was like you need to either get a job or you 
you're going in the army. So I was just there. Okay. Still so, a very working class place as well. Yeah, so and it was there. it was the way he was brought up by his dad, and I I, I understand it. You know what I mean. So uh, as soon as I made redundant, uh, got made redundant, I kind of had an excuse then to to give this wrestling thing a go. What do you think about the wrestling? Um, I think him and my granddad, like his dad, were were both at the mindset that this could never be like a living. It's kind of like a hobby kind of thing. You know, uh, you need to like get a proper job and and get a trade. So, uh, yeah, tons of little tiny jobs, you know. Uh, I worked in an iron factory, a curry factory, and it was like literally I, I couldn't stand doing it. So until I got the job in the furniture factory, I had loads of little jobs that I kind of went in and told them I can't do this, you know. Uh, and then I stuck with the furniture factory because it was, at the time, it was decent money, you know. And uh, Yeah, I got made redundant and then it was straight on the camps. Like the week after there. Isn't it crazy though, though? Like you said, like you hated it there. But then when you got made redundant, now you're like, okay, I've, I've got an excuse and I go. But so many people, you could have that. You could have never been made redundant, and you could still be working there. Uh, yeah, still working there now. yeah, and that was the thing. I, I was under so much pressure from my dad, especially, to work. I probably would would have never gone down the wrestling road if it wasn't for the fact that I got made redundant. So, yeah, everything happens for a reason. It I guess. is. That's true. So. You did you approach Brian then, or did the boys just vouch for you? So uh, as soon as uh, so the the first time that Brian saw us, uh, we went to uh, he said come down. So there's me, Mikey Whiplash, Kid Cool, yeah, and Robbie Dynamite. So uh, we were like the four students. So did he start in the same school too? He started at the same school like about six months after. The school opened. So. That's, that school's got a lot to answer for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he came down, and uh, it was yeah, just us doing our thing. And then uh, obviously Mikey got on the shows, and we we had some matches together and stuff. So we got in touch with Brian Dixon, and uh, he said, "Come down before the show in Stoke at Vicky Hall, and you can show me what you can do in the ring before the show, and uh, and then we'll see how it goes." So I think we did like a little a little tag match uh, before the show. Um, Kid Cool actually hurt his back in the tryout match doing like a rolling splash or something like that. So I was like, oh no, this is not good. So like me and Rob were like just in there and I was just like, we need to like do something. So we were doing like splashes off the top and stuff. And at the time it all started, it was like all big guys, like over 18 stone, you know what I mean? Like doing like the classic British style and... I think Brian's eyes kind of opened up when we were doing like all the moonsaults and yeah, the, the high flying stuff because I don't think he'd been, he'd seen anything like that so far. So that night he put us in a battle royal and we all got beat up like legit. So, uh, yeah, um, kind of, we were still working in Stoke then. So, uh, Nathan and Rob went on the camps from there and started doing the shows. Me and Whippy stayed behind still doing the, the shows in Stoke. And then, um, Dynamite um, dragged me along to a, char- a charity show that was being run by a, a guy called Mike Weaver in Stoke. And he was like, come on, like, there's a spot there for you. Um, so me and Rob went on, but I had it in my head that I couldn't do a show in Stoke. So I, I wore a mask. <laughs> um, but it, somebody like slipped to, to Chris that I was on the show in Stoke and he gave me the phone call saying like, you know the rule, you wrestle for somebody else. So I've got to let you go. So I was like, oh man. So uh, 
So yeah, uh, that was around about the time I got made redundant as well. So I was just like, <laughs> two redundancies. Just, I, I've, I've just been fired from my job. I've just been fired from uh, your hobby at that point. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my place that I love. Like, um, I was just like, what to do? So yeah, the week after I was on the camps, so I was free to do the camps and and do all the shows and stoke from now on. So uh, yeah, from, uh, my my first week on the camps was a little bit um, shaky to say the least. Uh, Ended up dropping a ring board on, uh, well, hitting Brian Dixon with a, a ring board on my first day. Uh, so amazing. the ring, absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've done Butlins right now. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a minor, and the the way it worked is we had a ring van at the time. So the ring van was outside the skyline. So we finished the show, and I was carrying a board from the inside to the outside. And as soon as I got outside, like there was a gust of wind. And it took me backwards, and I hit Brian, who was also carrying a board at the time, because he used to do the ring too. So, uh, what are yeah, you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, from there on, like, I got tortured a little bit by by Brian. You know, like, I, I, when whenever we stopped at the petrol station, I had to like wash his car. Do you know how they have like the sponge in the bucket? Yeah. He made me wash his car and stuff like that. And when we got to Butlins, uh, the way it was is the uh, when you arrive at Butlins, the beds weren't made. So like I had to make everybody's bed and just little things like that, you know, take the breakfast dishes back in the morning. Um, yeah, so it was a bit of a shaky start. Um, but then obviously as he got, as I got used to the camps and the way things worked, we ended up uh, having a smoother relationship. Well, respect's earned, isn't it? Not given. Yeah, so. yeah. And it was just like, I'm the 16 year old kid on the team and. And like, even though I had my first match on a show before uh, Dynamite and Kid Cool, they've been on the camps longer than I. And they had more so, matches under their belt. Yeah, so I was like the new the new guy on the team. So, but it's also all that style, isn't it? Because like, I don't think it's so much what people do and say like the all star style. I think it's you probably would have been doing these matches where in Stoke originally where you were probably were planning everything, you were putting it all together. Yeah. And then when you do the camps, you go out there and you listen to them. You might have you might have the finish done. You might have a, a hope or a comeback. But apart from that, then you listen to them and just react to them. And being a sixteen year old kid who would never have done that before was that was that terrifying? It was. So the shows in Stoke, um, like the way that Chris ran it, he was like advertising like barbed wire matches, and he was doing the whole the death match thing at the time. So I was in matches where I was doing ladder matches, like thumbtack matches, and. And stuff like well, that. ECW still would have been around. Yeah, this so it, obviously that he was a big fan of that. So he was doing that sort of thing. And then going from that to the Butlins camps was like a bit of a change because like Brian's always one where you have to be on the crowd. The crowd work is the most important thing, you know. So, uh, so obviously, like I like I was at sixteen. I was I was pretty decent and I could fly about as a sixteen year old. But working a crowd was something that didn't really come naturally to me you know what I mean so uh, that was something that I definitely had to get used to but obviously the, no better place to learn than, than the camps yeah you know? exactly revolving door as well isn't it it's and this is one thing I feel at the moment with the kids the moment and I've been saying it to them loads I was like you need to get on the camps you need to get on these small social club shows you need to be in front of families because one of the problems I feel at the moment is they want to work your progresses, they want to work your ICW, they want to work your PCWs, which is great. It's great to have the eyes on you. But I would never want anyone watching my matches 
two to three years in the business mm. with that many eyes and people who are going to tweet as well, people who are going to talk verbally about you, you should be wrestling in front of people who will have a good time, who will go home and will probably forget all about it then yeah. and, and it revolves and recycles around like that. Yeah. Kids just don't do it nowadays or they, they don't want to do it, I feel. Yeah. And it, like... And that was a thing that happened to me, like 2004, like I got the call to, to wrestle for TNA in America on pay-per-view out there and it was just like, oh, I've only really been doing this for four years, you know what I mean? And I know it was four years of like busyness for All-Star, but even after four years of doing like 200 shows a year, I felt like I still wasn't ready, you know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, I, apart from like the TNA thing, I knew I wasn't ready for that sort of thing, so it was like 10 years of like doing the the all star circuit until I started like doing the indies over here. Yeah, well, because it was just yeah, because yeah, it was just like I I didn't feel like I was ready. You know what I mean? Def, definitely not to show them like the best of me. You know, and I knew the way the the fans were on the indies. Well, I had like an idea. Like I always thought like the fans on the indies would be like the the, the ECW fans that I was watching like on on the tapes. You know yeah. what I mean? I was like. Oh, like I'd see wrestlers going there, and like, like the fans could be like really brutal to them if they weren't like very good or anything like that. So I was like, yeah, I need to to get good before I'm put in front of a crowd like that. So. But like when you started the, so what was the schedule like then when you first started the camps? Uh, so the, the so the way it worked is um, yeah, because I have I have people on who, who listen to this from Americans, so I guess they yeah. might not understand it. Uh, so. Um, the way it used to work was it used to run from April till November uh, and Butlins was like open all the time. So it doesn't matter if nobody was there or it was like peak season, the wrestling was on no matter what. Uh, and we used to um, we used to leave for Minard on a Monday night, get to Minard and the shows were afternoon shows back then. It was like midday. So you get, you get to the camp, you go out at night, um, you get up at seven in the morning for breakfast ring up at nine and show at 12, take the ring down, drive to the next place. So uh, we used to have Mondays off until you travel at night time. And then you used to have uh, Tuesday, two shows on a Wednesday, because we used to do a caravan park called Salzy, which I think uh, Rev Pro run now. Um, mm-hmm. So we used to do Bogman and Salzy on the same day, and then Skegness on Thursday. And then it was Friday off. And then we used to do, uh, I think it was Skegness and Bogner at the weekend so it was like two at the weekend yeah so from april till november you were you were on that run of like six jobs a week guaranteed and then sometimes because the shows were in the day town shows would be at night time uh so we used to like drive from the camp to the nighttime show and and hit a double there if it was close enough because the way brian used to work he used to have like us young lads on the camps and he used to have the the, the big americans on the town shows yeah so he'd be running the camps and have a separate team doing the town shows because well, they would bring in the they'd bring in the the people wouldn't they because the yeah. the holiday goers are going to be there regardless yeah so. exactly yeah and we were like obviously cheap labor <laughs> you know what i mean and Very then true. uh on the big shows you used to have like people like marty Janetti and and uh jake the snake and tatanka and and all them guys you know so yeah it was a good mix were you wrestling the same people or were you getting a mix of people so um the way it used to work on the camps is, uh, at first, I was very heavily on with, with Rob, uh, either in singles or tags. And then, uh, after a while, James Mason joined the team because uh, he was wrestling for a, 
a promoter called Scott Conway at the time that was, I think, giving him just as much or more work than Brian was. Uh, and for whatever reason, he came over to us and uh, on the camps, sometimes it would be just two matches. So I'd like, say it was like James and Dynamite on first, then there'd be an interval and then uh, I'd wrestle. Uh, James in a mask in the second in the second match. You in a mask or him in a mask? He- Sorry, James in a mask. So, so James would go on with Rob interval and then wrestle me. So it's like a a small little team. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you have the ref and Brian, and then that was wrestlers that you could fit in one car then instead of having a couple of cars. So um, how long was it then from you working the camps? Yeah. To you doing TNA? How how long were you? Uh, so I started the camps in two thousand and two. Um, I started working for Brian in 2001, but it wasn't regular camp work until like at the end of 2001, 2002 was like my first, where I was like on every show, you know, uh, 2001, it was still, sometimes he'd say, okay, you got a week off the camps this week, uh, cause he was taking somebody else, but then, which would be heartbreaking at that point. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, I've been what? fired. <laughs> what have I done wrong? And yeah. now I've got a sister tell me my dad's looking at me and I'm like, oh God. I need to do something. So, uh, so yeah, it was like the end of 2001. I started getting like the regular, I think it was Christmas 2001. I started the camps full time then. Um, and then 2002, it was right through. Uh, and then the TNA thing was in March 2004. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Cause yeah. Because you know what? I, I think, you know, we talked about this. I, I remember because you would have done mine head around about 2000. Two thousand three, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I would have been twelve, thirteen at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely, I know for a fact, saw Mason at Minehead because I remember watching it, and then, and I, you, you would have been on there as well then. So I remember watching it though and seeing James Mason. And then me and my brother watched TNA, and when he showed up on TNA, we were like, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah, this guy? yeah. So yeah. But how did uh, how did TNA come about? Uh, so we were on a. We were to show at the Northgate Arena in Chester. Uh, just turned up and I just I just had an injury. I can't remember if it was my back or an ankle injury. Uh, and it was like one of my first jobs back um, after being off for like six weeks. Um, and Robbie Brookside basically come up to me and he said, there's uh, there's a, some jobs going for a company called TNA in America. Um, and they want you to go over there and do this X-Cup thing. But you knew of TNA at this point, right? Yes. Um only I'd never seen any footage where I'd seen them in magazines. Obviously, Power Slam magazine. Rob used to buy that every month. Were they still in the four side? Four side at this point. In four the, sided ring. Uh, yes, yes, they were. Right. Yes. So uh, whenever Rob was finished with Power Slam, I used to just run. <laughs> I need it. So obviously, I did a TNA. Uh, so I was like, yeah, no. Uh, well, I wasn't like, yeah, let's go. I spent the entire show like worrying that I wasn't ready or good enough. And then after speaking to a couple of the lads, they were like, yeah, but it's wrestling in America and it's a big opportunity and it was good, really good money. So they were like, just do it. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I was like, when did we go? And he was like, well, you have to leave after the show tonight. <laughs> drive, 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 drive to uh, either Gatwick, Gatwick or Heathrow, catch a flight. And then it was literally off the plane straight to the venue to do the match so I was just like okay then we're going was it was it everyone who was involved that TNA uh, UK team were they on that show there or did you have no idea they were all there they were all there Uh, Brookside actually asked uh, Mikey Whiplash if he wanted to go 
Uh, but Whippy didn't have a passport at the time, uh, which is like a really important thing for wrestling, yeah. obviously na- in nowadays. So uh, Mikey missed out on that. And then they, he chose me, Dynamite, James Mason and Frankie Sloan. Uh, they were the four that that went. So how do you how do you so you have to like tell your dad and stuff like that? Like I'm going to America to yeah. So at this like by by that time by 2004 I was already married and moved out. <laughs> so it's just like yeah I was. You don't I, do things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I always had it in my head that I wanted like kids young. You know what I mean. So it was just like yeah I'm. I'm doing this. I think that's a very, I think that's a very working class um, thing as well. Like we've got, I, I don't know if you've met him. We've got a boy uh, who we trained who now works for like Welsh wrestling called Danny Jones. Have you met Danny? I think so. Yeah, Danny yeah, Jones. Yeah. So he did all uh, all Japan recently. Went out and did all Japan. Yeah, another guy. Yeah. Um, he's Dan's got to be 22, 23, and um, I'm twenty eight, and I'm just very much like um, maybe kids in about ten years <laughs> time. Yeah, yeah. Whereas he's just like, I can't wait to have four kids. Like, yeah. like any, I'm like your child. Yeah, you know, I think he's even had a conversation with his missus. He's just like, "Should we have kids?" And I was like, "You're, what are you doing?" Like, yeah. got, but but he's his mindset is very much working class, and I just feel that that's I think that's something that you you just see before you you see everyone get married, have kids, and yeah, I think it's just yeah. a very working class mentality. And I think cause my mum and dad were like sixteen and seventeen when they had me, and. Um, it was nice to have somebody there to like play football with. Yeah, and, of course. And, and play on my video games with and stuff like that, you know. So uh, I always had it in my mind that I wanted kids young. Um, not even, obviously, it's good for wrestling, like, especially like the way I am now at 34. Like, my body's like pretty much destroyed. <laughs> so it's, in a way, I'm like so glad that I had it in my head then. Because obviously, I'm a totally different person than I was when I was 16. But yeah. Even then, I was in my head. I was like, I want to be like more like a big brother to my kids, more than a dad. You know, like, what a I mean? be- like you want to be their best friend. You want to be, that, yeah. yeah. And uh, and that's the relationship that I've got with my kids now. I'm like the silly dad. You know what I mean? And they don't obviously like I can be serious, but like most of the time, I'm just like the silly dad who wants like play on the video games with them and and play football and and that sort of thing. You know, so and that's why I always wanted these. So. I knew that the way to do that was was to have kids young, and I was married five days after I turned twenty, and and um, had my son when I was twenty one. So yeah, yeah, I wanted I wanted to get that out of the way and <laughs> get that <laughs> yeah yeah and and get that going. So uh, so yeah, um, yeah, two thousand four and the, the TNA thing was like the the biggest thing at that point in my career. Uh, and I don't think I realised how big it was until I actually get got there and was like, oh shit, I'm on shows with like Sting and Raven oh, yeah, and, like, and I... all these guys. And I was like, but then it wasn't such a shock because like I've been on the all-star shows with like Marty Jannetty and, and Jake the Snake. And I was actually like wrestling these guys and Earthquake and Tatanka, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I got there, it was like, a, it was like the next generation up from like the Jake the Snakes and the Tatankas, it was like the Ravens, the Conans and, and people like that, you know what I mean? And Sabu, like obviously I'd seen the, the tapes in ECW and I was like, wow, like, like, so in also it was like my first generation of wrestlers I used to watch and then uh, in TNA it was like, this is like the later generation. Uh, in the last couple of years I was a wrestling fan, like all these guys are now here. So it was cool, but it, again, I didn't realise how big it was and then it 
and then I was told that this is pay per view. You know, it's it, we're doing this as a pay per view, so it's a big thing. And and Matt, was it was it their first? Was it, they ran a couple probably. Yeah, they? probably yeah. Um, and then I was the first match on. I was all up. So I was just like, oh shit. Singles. A singles match. Team Mexico. Team Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, they went on to win. If I'm, yeah, if I'm and, and they yeah. were like, oh, you're British, so you're obviously a bad guy. So I was just like, <laughs> a bad guy? I've never Have you been not a, seen the camps? Yeah. <laughs> I've never been a bad guy in my life. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, it was me and S.A. Rios in the first match. Just think, right, so I uh, I got into wrestling because of SmackDown 2. Yeah. And my favourite people to play on the games were Scotty Trotty and S.A. Rios. So yeah, that's yeah. just, that's in my head mental. Yeah. Um, so how was the match? Yeah, it was okay. Like, I think for him it was more like, because obviously he'd been wrestling a, a lot, like, for a long time at the time. And he was, I think he had a knee injury at the time. and I think for him it was kind of like it wasn't a big deal, you know what I mean. He'd been into refurbishment, yeah, and uh, and for whatever reason, like um, I come out the ring and thought that's the worst match I've ever had in my entire life. Um, it was really bad in my eyes, and like after like I went backstage, I went outside and cried for like twenty minutes, Shit like because I was I was so disappointed in myself, and it was like. As soon as I got there and realised how big it was, like I, I put so much pressure on myself, and I already thought that I wasn't ready. And then I just I felt like I'd let everybody down, oh, you know. Mate. And uh, there was only one like dressing room back there, and there was like a big screen so everybody could watch the match. And I was like embarrassed that everybody had just seen that match. And Dave Taylor was like our our manager on the team, and I was like, oh shit, that's Dave Taylor, and he's just seen that I'm shit, you know what I mean? So. Uh, so yeah, it all just happened really quick, and yeah, it, I was overwhelmed. At the what time. was the reception like backstage? And so you've come, you've and I've had it before where you yeah. had a, a bad match and you've come through, and you've gone, oh, that's fucking shit. And I've, I, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, one of the most, one of the most reassuring things is when you see one of your mates and they'll go, it's not as bad as you think it was, mate. Don't don't worry. But what was the what was and the that's, reception? That's that's what like Robbie James and Frankie were doing, you know, and obviously they were like. I was close to them because I was on the road with them all the time. So you have the banter and they were like, oh, shit, that. But like... They Once were, they saw you were upset. Yeah, yeah. They they were like, no, it wasn't that bad at all. It was absolutely fine. Um, have you watched it back? You've bound to have watched it back. Yeah, yeah. It, it's on YouTube and I've watched it and obviously if it was now, it would be like a much better match. Um, I, I, I probably still consider it as my, my worst match in my oh, career. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It, it was just like a total... It was kind of a clusterfuck, to be honest. And also, is that like you, you'd spent so so long on the camps at this point, and that style of TNA would have been different. And he was Mexican as well, so his style and your style, yeah. just... his English wasn't very good. And I was like a a bad guy for like one of the first times in my career. And it was, I was in my head. I was like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And I'd like Brian in my head. You've got to show up to the crowd. When <laughs> I probably didn't need to, you know, I I probably didn't need to like. Do as much with the crowd as I did, but I was like, no, I action, need to. action, action. Yeah, that's what I been, yeah, yeah. And I, I should have. That's what I should have done. You know what I mean? Uh, but hindsight. Eh? So, how was the rest of the stint in? Uh, in so uh, we had like probably a week off until the next match. Um, so all week I was like, where were they based at this point? In Nashville. 
Oh, right. In Tennessee, yeah. So, so you get get to go see sightseeing. Yeah, so we would put up in a in a holiday in there, uh, and then we got money every day for like food. Um, uh, they give us a car to like go wherever we wanted. So did you uh, go to Gra- did you go to Graceland? We had the choice of going to Graceland or the Jack Daniels Distillery. <laughs> we, 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 how do I know where you went? How do I, I know? went to the Jack Daniels oh, Distillery. So, uh, yeah, um, the car was only given to us like in the last couple of days. So that's what we did. We're out of town. We went to, to Jack Daniels because Frankie's obviously a big fan of Jack Daniels. Yeah. So that's where we went. And uh, at the time, I wasn't even old enough to drink in America. Of course you yeah. <laughs> So uh, so I wasn't allowed in any of the bars or anything like that. And obviously I was quite young looking for a 20-year-old. 20, 20 so um, The week after, we were putting a tag match. So in my head, I was like, I need to put on like my best performance in this one. It was me and James against uh, Abysmo Negro and Heavy Metal. Uh, so I we went in there and that was fine. Um, when I watched that match back, I was like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. With James in there as well, I guess it would have calmed you. It would have, yeah, yeah. It was good having James there, and it was a tag match, so I was more relaxed. Um, and then I had Nate Man there, which was absolutely fine as well. Um, yeah, so um, it was just two days. It was literally like taped. The first, the singles were all done the first day with uh, with the TNA Impact show that was on. They filmed it all together, and then the week after, we did the tags, and then we were thrown straight in the Eight Man straight away. Uh, did fine. they did they do the World Cup again? Did they did TNA do it again? They did uh, later on, like much later on. Remember where uh, like Doug and Nick Aldis and oh and of course they yeah. did like a World X Cup, and I think they were the only British guys that that were that, that were in it then. Well, this uh, this would have been the time as well when you were out there that the wrestling channel would have come up, so yes. all your stuff was on the wrestling channel. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that that entire pay-per-view was on the, the wrestling channel. Yeah, because I would have seen all that. Because yeah. yeah. I, I, we were speaking about this recently, and with, with Paul Ash, just the guy, like, there was a time when I'd say that TNA was on the cusp of being bigger than WWE in this country. Yeah. They went to Wembley and sold Wembley out. Yeah, yeah. And it was just because it was on the wrestling channel, and then they moved to Bravo. They moved to Bravo? Maybe. Or Challenge? Somebody like that, yeah. Yeah, they did. So, yeah, yeah. So their 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 reach was real big. Yeah. Did you know that when you went out there? No, I, I had no idea. But then obviously when I came back and then I used to watch like, uh, I started watching TNA on the wrestling channel. I was like, oh, especially like the X Division matches, you know, I was just like, wow, these are amazing. Like, you had like Saban coming along and you had like um, AJ Styles. And then the they made that division into something great. Yeah. You know, uh, that X division, I was such a big fan of after that. Yeah. I was like, oh. cause that was a bit later on. And I was like, oh, if that was now, like I would have been absolutely fine. Yeah, for that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. But it was just, just too soon. I think in my career. But again, speaking about it in the car, people want these opportunities and they, 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 some of them are so hungry for it that, you do have to kind of take a step back sometimes and say to them, are you ready for these experiences? Because uh, I know that while Boar got opportunities on IPW, of course, IPW then became Revolution Pro the, at the big venues. And he also got a little bit of time on the Dragon Gate tour as well, which we'll talk about with you as well. But yeah. he wasn't ready for those, he said to me at the time. Yeah. And when they saw him, like that was his one opportunity to impress. And he felt like, like he didn't achieve yeah. that. And then it's, you can only make a first impression once, can't you? 
yeah, yeah. So it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and that was just what, uh, yeah, at the time I just wasn't ready, like physically or mentally. Like I was, I, I think if I would have gone there and I was like a baby face and I wasn't, had all this pressure in my head, I think I would have coped better. But yeah, it's the worst singles match I've ever had. But I always say like the best experiences you can have, like in your early career, bad experiences, because mm. they're the ones you learn from. So as soon as I got home, I flew straight, um, I drove straight to a show down south and I was like, from here on, we're never going to have a match that bad ever again. And uh, yeah. So I think it, all in all, it was like a, a positive experience. As bad as it was at the time, and I was really upset, it was like a good learning experience for, for, for myself. You said you didn't break out and do like some more of the indie shows for a while. Do you reckon that had a part to play in it? Do you reckon you... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to just concentrate on getting ready now. And And to be honest... And I've always said this, like in the 18 years that I've been wrestling, I've never got in touch with a promoter and asked for a booking. It's like any any wrestling show that I've ever done, um, it's because they've contacted me to do, you know. Uh, I've never been, I've always been quite busy enough with All Star not to go out there looking for work from other people. Um, and most of the time it's because All Star's so busy, I'm just like, I don't want to start taking these dates on that clash with All Star dates, yeah, of course. you know. Um, because no matter what happens, all star, it will always be first. For it's me. your bread and butter, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's it, it's the way I earn a living. So, uh, and after keeping me in work for eighteen years, yeah, I owe it to them, you know, not to start just taking bookings over their big shows. Hey everyone, just want to take a minute from a conversation this week to talk to you about our sponsors, Pins and Knuckles Merchandise. Pins and Knuckles Merchandise was formed in two thousand and nine, and it was founded by toy musicians who'd spent many years working with companies and just not achieving the results they desired as a band. Because of this, Pins and Knuckles was created with the aim to provide high-quality merchandise to bands, artists and wrestlers alike. And you know what? They nailed it. If you're looking for the best place to get t-shirts printed, stickers, flags, embroidery, DTG, sublimination printing, they do it all. Tom, Shannon, Dan and the rest of the team are doing a great job and you know what it's exactly where I get all my stuff from and I think that's where you should get your stuff from too and because of the guys over at Pins and Knuckles Merchandise I'm able to keep this podcast absolutely free this month so if you're looking for a best place to get yourself printed maybe you're in a band maybe you're a wrestler or hell maybe you're everything in between then head over to pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com and check them out today best yet they also offer free delivery to the UK and Europe. Big thanks, Pins and Knuckles. You've tore it apart. So, I know that you did do the Dragon Gate tours. How long How long between the TNA and the Dragon Gate? So, um, I did that one in 2004. I did one little show, um, which was All-Star against FWA in 2006, uh, where I wrestled Johnny Storm. And like... If you watch them two matches, like there's such a big improvement because I, again, I was a bad guy there, and uh, that match in 2006, I was like, "Well, this is for that match in 2004. This is what it should have been." Yeah, and it, it, that was much better. So uh, that was my little taste. And uh, that night, I met like Mark Sloan, who was there. I think he's like doing merch or something. No, I think he actually, I think he actually wrestled on the show. Um, I met him there that night and. He came up to me after the show and he was like, 
because I think he'd seen me on Butlins or something, and he didn't know that I could could go like not go, but you know, that I could style. like I could go toe to toe with somebody like Johnny in and, that sort of style. Yeah, yeah, with that style, like at the time. So uh, he come up to me, and he was like, oh, "I was really impressed with that." And don't take this in the wrong way, but I've only ever seen you at Butlins. Uh, but that was I, was I was really impressed tonight. So I was like, oh, "That's cool, like Thank you very much." First time I saw Johnny wrestle, I was like. Oh my god, that's exactly how I want to be with the crowd because he just had him in the palm of his hand, and I was like, "Well, being able to still do the high flyers and the he, crazy could, stuff. he could still like do a, a fantastic match, but then keep the crowd entertained with the charisma all the way through." And I was like, "So I took loads of stuff from Johnny and his crowd work, and, and started taking that into my matches with me, and, and just changing little bits and pieces." But then, obviously. They turn it into a storyline with the whole FWA All Star thing. I think at the time, like Brookside was doing FWA, and uh, he was like a, a villain, like a, a bad guy, and he was like, uh, they did some storyline where I'm going to bring my All Star guys in and take you guys on. So that's how that show went. We did like a a group of like four singles matches and then a elimination eight man yeah. on like a point system. So so yeah, that was good. Um, but I was really happy with my performance then. I was just like... And then the Mark Sloan thing, uh, in 2010 it would have been, I didn't see him again until then. And it was at Gravesend where I was in a match with Doug Williams. And me and Doug like did like a 20-minute draw or anything. And it was after that match he came up to him and he was like, um, I helped run these shows called like Dragon Gate UK or run these shows. Um, I'm interested in booking you for that show. I was like, oh yeah. I'd, I'd definitely be up for it and uh, on the show it was meant to be me against Johnny Storm but uh, I think Johnny Storm was like ended up being double booked or he had an injury or something so uh, I ended up going on with Sticks um, which ended up being a really good match especially because Sticks was such a a good heel with the crowd and a good base as well and a good, good base game. yeah and he, he was totally because when you go in there with somebody like Johnny, I'm not used to wrestling. Like, although like on the All Star shows, like I'm small, the smallest guy, and I was at the time. Johnny was smaller than me, so I wasn't really used to like wrestling smaller guys that much, uh, especially in a babyface match. So uh, going on with a bigger guy like Sticks was something that I was used to and that had done for like ten years at that point. So, uh, so yeah, I think that at that time I was like probably. I had no injuries or anything, and in my mind, I thought like I'm the best that I've ever been in my career. And in my mind, I was like, I want to show like all these like indie fans who don't know about All Star, like that we can actually do this shit really well. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, I uh, so yeah, again, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was like, I need to do this for myself. I need to do this for All Star. I need to uh, this, that, and the other. It's Dragon Gate. You know what I mean? But um, it at this time I was like, I had enough experience to to make it work the way I wanted it to work. So it's still one of my favourite matches to this day. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yes, people will. Yeah, yeah. Them. It's uh, it was like my first like, because uh, in the match like Andy Quilden was the the ref, uh, Stephen Flood who now runs PCW was in the crowd as just a fan at the time. There was a lot of people there. I think Ben Old was there from Southside. That saw me for like the first time, and then after that, I started taking bookings then for like IPW and Southside, and and it's all because of that one match. Oh really? I think when Flood started running shows, he was like, 
I want that guy that I saw at Dragon Gate. So, yeah, up until that point, I, I, I'd never done like IPW or Southside, but after that one match, I started doing all these shows, you know. Yeah, I remember that because I remember I, I knew of you, and I think I think we might. I, I was I started came in like two thousand and ten. Yeah. So I know that well, end of two thousand nine. So we we met, but I wasn't on the show. I think I was just helping out with Welsh and stuff like that. That's how we met originally. I don't remember. I don't expect you to remember whatever, but it's. Um, I do remember thinking to myself that like I knew who you were. I knew how good you were. I'd seen bits and pieces on online and stuff like that. But I do think to myself like, why doesn't he work? the other places so when I saw saw you start to like, show up at PCW show up at IPW that was me going I was kind of like oh I'm glad I'm getting to see Dean in more places that was, yeah that was really good yeah and it, again it was just like um, and I'm, I'm I hope I don't sound cocky when I say this it was just like I never reached out to these companies I knew of them but it was like I'm not going to reach out for work because I'm already like on a full time schedule but then they were like, well, there's this show. And it, and I'd look at my schedule and I was like, oh, shit, I'm off. You know, and yeah. and then it was the next one and the next one. And, uh, yeah, just at that time, I was just like, I need to... I felt kind of like pressure because I was just like, uh, I need to show that the all-star guys are, are really good wrestlers and, and and we can do this style as well. It's not just the camp style that everybody thinks that we. Well, can the indie do. fans would have thought that yeah. as well, wouldn't they? Especially, uh, I'm, I'm not just somebody who goes in there and does, and gets the crowd going with chants and clapping, and do the theatre shows. I can actually do this, this stuff. I used to wrestle in the backyard for God's sake. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things. There's like some people might look at those shows and be like, "Oh, it's clapping, it's doing this." But I've seen, I've been on there as well when like indie say indie darlings whatever guys who have gone onto the camps and they've struggled so much to get a reaction yeah and and i'm just like it's because it is a different style and everyone shouldn't just do the camps because it's an experience that's brilliant as well but i feel that you should be able to work all different types of of, of crowds yeah. like danielson did the camps yes like um lords of like dash uh dash did the camps didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah so but it's if you're able to do all those different styles then you go to a Dory house show. If you're lower, if you're the lower part of the card, and you're not Randy Orton, and you're not John Cena, they probably didn't pay a ticket to come and see you. But so it's your job to go out there and get those people, yeah, invested in that match. And the yes. only way you're going to do that is by knowing how to work a family crowd. Yeah. So it is. You said you wanted to prove the indie, the indie guys that you could work their style. Yeah. Not just that one style that you got good at. And I yeah. think that's what everyone should be doing. They should be learning how to become. A well-rounded performer in every aspect. Yeah, and it was it was like literally as I used to say to people in All Star and still do. It's every All Star show that you do, you're walking as a nobody, and then if you're good enough, you walk walk out as a somebody. You know, uh, and I think when you watch that Dragon Gate match, I'm just like you can see I walk out and everybody's like politely clapping, but at the end there's people standing applauding. You know, so it was just like. Well, this is what I've been doing for ten years. I've I've been winning people over for ten years. So, uh, so and that's something that you don't like. When I I found out when I first started doing the camps, I was like, "There's more to this than just the actual wrestling. Uh, you you you've got to have the charisma about you. You you've got to know what to do with the the fans to to win them over, and uh, and that's something you can definitely learn more than anything on the camps, especially when you're wrestling against uh, wrestling with. With people in the crowd who ninety percent of them aren't wrestling fans, yeah. they're just on holiday there, you know. So uh, you, 
if you can go in there and do all the spots in the world, but they aren't wrestling fans, they're not going to appreciate it. So you got to you got to do you got to tell a story that resonates with them. You need that moment where the dad puts his pint down and goes, "Oh, okay, you've got my attention." Yeah, yeah. And I, I do like obviously being a dad myself. I go to certain things, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, this is good." I dread it, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm doing this for the kids, but when I'm actually there, I'm like, actually, this is really good, you know what I mean? So you've got to think of it from that perspective. But I think that's I think that's the thing you said, you walked into Dragon Gate and they didn't know who you were, but they left, like, clapping or they were up on, their, up on their feet. And I think, again, going back to what we spoke about in the car, some of those new people coming now, they want to go to it, they want to come out in a show, and they want to hear the crowd erupt the moment their music goes off and they come to the curtain. But one of my favourite things is going to a show where nobody knows who I am or going to a new place where they're not quite sure. And I think to myself, like especially if you've, you've got it all planned in your head or you've got little bits and pieces, they come out and, they've, and they get nothing and you'd be like, oh, you're in for a treat here. Like, I'm looking forward to changing your mind. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I was at a match the other week and you could see when I was wrestling around, they were, they were, they were dead silent for the first five, seven minutes, whatever. And the trainee who I was, oh, I say trainee, he's two years in now, but he was... You could see that in his eyes, but like, they're not making any noise. And I was just like, they will. Don't like, I know yeah. they will. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I like that. I like that silence because that silence means that when they do react, then you've worked hard for that reaction. And, yes. And you've you've planned it that way. So I think that's a, a real clever and nice way to look yeah. at it. Yeah. Walking yeah. Places. And obviously, when we used to do the shows at the caravan park, when was like holiday time, you'd be wrestling in front of ten people, and yet, and when you put in that situation, wrestling in front of ten people. You find ways to like get them. Yeah, you know what I mean. You walk out, there's ten people. It's it's so quiet, but you can actually go and have a really enjoyable match by doing stuff that get them going. You know yeah. what I mean. So uh, yeah, wrestling in silence was never something that that like when I when I started doing the indie shows and I was coming out and nobody knew who I was. I was like the the first couple of minutes because obviously. With my British wrestling style, it was not something that they were used to seeing. They were like, kind of like, what's this? But then you switch it up, you know what I mean? And you try and show them, especially like at the time I had something to prove. I was like, I'm going to show them everything that I can do. I can I can do a little bit of everything here. So, uh, yeah, and it was like a it was like a domino effect. It was like literally every show I was going to, I was kind of, it was the same thing over and over again. You'd walk into that kind of applause and you'd walk out and they were like, oh shit. He's actually quite good, so we want to see him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a, that was a good time for me, um, especially because I wasn't really like all my students were like at the wrestling school. They were like, "You need to get Facebook and my and like add MySpace." I've got I've got MySpace. I'm going, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, you need to go on Facebook, and then you get like little comments from the shows, like people tagging in statuses and stuff. But, like I was like, actually, like. I mustn't be that bad, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. the all-star guys mustn't be that bad because I'm getting like, oh, this this was like a match of the night and that. And I was just like, yeah, well, this is what I've been doing like most of my life, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah um, you thought what you never approached uh, promoters, you never kind of reached out to it. You'd rather like your work speak for yourself and if they want you, they, they want you. But then I think some of that was kind of like, I've always in my life like had confidence issues, like it, at school, like, I was bullied quite a bit, and uh, I had, like, a stutter at school because I was, like, so nervous to speak to people, and I think some of it was to not put pressure on myself. If I if I got in touch with a promoter, and I was like, uh, I'm, it's this much money to book me, and they book me for a show, then I feel, I feel the pressure to perform then, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, I've asked you for this 
amount here. Yeah, yeah uh, and now like I've You've got to I, live up to this. Yeah, I've got to live up to. It. I hope I'm good enough. You know what I mean. But like, if somebody books me, it's because they like me. So it's kind of like I think I had that confidence thing, and I've still got that now. To be honest, um, even after all this time, so I think it is like a confidence thing, and it's one thing that it's probably been detrimental to to my career, like not reaching out and and going places like progress and places like that. But it's just what I've always done. You know what I mean. But we said the kind of like. Your your plan and your dreams always just been to kind of just be a full time wrestler. Yeah, and I have got like I Mark Andrews. Uh, you but you you've met Mark right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah of course. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. So Mark's the most positive guy in the world, right? Yeah, but I have nobody else has. Not a lot of people have seen this, but Mark has such big visualizations of what he wants from a show or what he wants from a trip that when they don't match up to his realizations, he can get quite down about that. Okay. Whereas I feel with you, you have such low expectations yeah. that when stuff then outperforms their expectations oh yeah yeah you're a lot more happy with it yeah so. and that, yeah and that's that's the story of my career like low expectations <laughs> for everything you know what i mean and uh yeah and i've always seen myself as like just just that guy that like likes to wrestle you know what i mean and, and doesn't belong maybe at places where i've actually been you know what i mean but uh I've actually done okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of doing okay, um, we spoke as well, like, you've done Japan. Yeah. Have you, did you do two? Done I've two? been three times. Three times? Yeah, yeah. So how did Japan come about? Uh, so, um, long story short, I was just doing my thing, ding, ding, and then 2014, uh, there was a company called Wrestle One in Japan, which is run by um, the great Muta, and... Uh, he wanted, he had this vision of like Wrestle One of being like um, having all these champions from like uh, all these places that were like prestigious. Like everybody, in, like in Japan, like the all star reputation is known. Yeah. A company that's been going for like 50 years that used to be on TV. Uh, so they sent an agent out. This agent's uh, name is Jimmy Suzuki. And he, he came to a show, a, a Butlin show in Bognor, of all places. Um, and at the time, I was like the all-star champion. So we watched my match and uh, and basically a couple of days later, got back in touch and we were like, we want to bring you to Japan to uh, defend your title in Japan. So I was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, again, in my head, I was like, oh, like maybe I should like turn it down. Maybe like... How can I drop this belt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was just like all this pressure on myself. I was like, even after 14 years, I was just like, maybe I'm not ready for this or maybe like my, who I am, like will not like go down well in Japan and, and all this. Um, yeah, we turned up being a good little trip. You know, uh, when I got there, I turned up at, cause, uh, in Japan, they have like press conferences and stuff that you have to do. So I get there, I've been on my own since I've got there. And then, uh, the door kind of bursts open and in walks Spud with uh, Eddie Edwards uh, which are like two of my two of my really good friends in wrestling you know what I mean and they were still drunk from the night before <laughs> they, had, they, had, they hadn't been to sleep they'd been out all night and they just burst in and Spud's like extreme Dean come here you know what I mean so uh, this, it went from like a silence quite like hostile atmosphere to like nerves as high as it could be yeah to, to like oh like Spud's just like totally taking the heat off me you know? <laughs> and he's got it for himself you know what I mean and just having my friends there like obviously uh, I'd met David Richards on the indies um, 
at Southside and places like that. So it was good to see him again. And uh, and EC3 was there, who was really cool. So I was there with a bunch of really good guys, you know what I mean? And from that moment on, I felt okay. But it was just like going there by myself was a little bit... Because uh, obviously being such a big fan of Japanese wrestling, when I was watching the, the tapes, uh, I was just like, again, putting pressure on myself. I need to... Like I'd seen people like Liger, and obviously I'd wrestled Liger at that point, but like seeing all these great Japanese wrestlers that were like my favourites, I need to, to, to like, like obviously seeing Benoit and people like that, I needed to work as hard as anything Got in you. this match, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, in the match, um, it was good, everything was going great. Uh, I looked like there was 8,000 people there, it was like at the sumo hall, like where WWE now run. Uh, cracking atmosphere like it was quiet but like you could kind of feel the atmosphere yeah. like and uh rippling through as it yeah, yeah and it was just like that they were like popping for like my british style stuff and it was like oh this is really good you know and then i started showing them like i did a moonsault to the floor and stuff showing them something else and it was going really good and then my opponent hyper extended his knee and um uh like i got him up to like try and like carry on and he kind of fell back down you know, and uh, they kind of held me back in the corner, and they were like spraying his knee and stuff. And uh, funny, funny thing about this is Musa was watching in the back, and uh, he sent some young boys down to like ring the bell, just so I could go over like by injury. But like the guy that was wrestling was like a young boy himself, and he he was with like all his friends from like the dojo, and he was like he was telling them, just give me a second and I'll be okay. Uh, so like I'm in, I'm the referees back me to the corner to like kind of like assess him, and like on the outside of the ring there's like two sets of young boys like arguing amongst themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like ring well, the bell, yeah, no, yeah, ring the bell, yeah, they're, no. they're trying to grab the hammer and stuff to ring the bell, and uh, the referee is looking, and my opponent like literally gets up, so like I just walk over and grab him, and like the crowd kind of like come up for that, you know what I mean? Because he was like ready to carry on and. That little couple of seconds that uh, where they were spraying his knee, I already like replanned the the finish in my head. I was like, "Brilliant!" He's uh, like, that was the time where I realized like I'm experienced enough to be here now, and uh, I felt confident. And I was like, even though he doesn't speak English, I'm gonna like just get him through. And uh, he was actually going over, so I was like, I need to to make this good. And he tried to like. <coughs> I think he gave me a dodgy kick or something and he went up to like finish the match and I was like we can't finish it like this and like give him a Spanish fly off the top just like off the cuff and I was just like uh, I think he's glad of it now but I think he just wanted out of there at the time but um, he thanked me after because he was like he came to England a couple of weeks later to do the camps and he was like uh, when he was like on his way out of the ring like you could see Japanese fans like crying and stuff because he'd he'd managed to get through the match and and like Musa was like, oh, like that that was the best match on the show. And, oh, brilliant! And um, and it, it went down really well. You know what I mean? It couldn't, apart from his knee like messing up, it couldn't have gone any better. So, but I love that like it's that it's that story, isn't it? Of going to TNA, feeling like you've you it was the worst match you've ever had. Yeah. And then going up there, something going wrong in the match, but the experience that you built up, that you told yourself when you left yeah. TNA, I'm going to get as good as I possibly could be, yeah. helped you then have the best match of the and, night and that's just 10 years difference you know what I mean it was like 10 years <laughs> just, of, just 10 just years. 10 years difference but it was like a lot of experience in that time so uh, so yeah it was good and 
it was like a, a lot of the Japanese people and Jimmy was saying like a, a lot of them like when they saw you didn't really expect this from you but like they were, everybody's saying it was the best match and you've done it with like a young boy and and we had all these stars and we didn't need it because you just had this match and it was just like it, it was like the constant circle of my career so far it was like going in there and people not expecting anything from me and I've come out and they've actually th thought I was really good so it was like I wasn't surprised at the time. I was just like, well, that's, <laughs> that seems to be the yeah, way things yeah, go. Yeah, that, that people just don't expect a lot from me, which is fine, you know. I kind of like proving them wrong. And it's a good feeling, as you know yourself, you know, like you were saying before, it's it's a good feeling when somebody says, you are, you are good. And I've always told myself that I'm not, but obviously I'm not that bad. So. <laughs> you've done it, you've been up there another two times since. Yes. Same company? Uh, so Wrestle One uh, stopped bringing foreign talent talent in because the shows were, were slowly going down so um, I started then wrestling for a company called Diamond Stars Wrestling which is ran by the agent from Wrestle One. he's left and he now co-promotes for Diamond Stars Wrestling so my uh, my second match there was against um, excuse me a wrestling legend called uh, Minoru Tanaka somebody who I used to watch so uh, that was my second match there and it was really good um just because he's so good and uh, the way he is and the way he carries himself it's just like he's like the nicest Japanese person I've ever met in my entire life and um, I was so made up with that match and uh, for whatever reason I don't think the match was even recorded which is a shame but uh, yeah that was a really good match that one and then I went so that was 2015 no, so 2014 was when I went, 2016 is the second time, and then 2017 was the, the most recent time. And that was that with the second company again? That's with Diamond Stars Wrestling, and then I was supposed to go again in February, but uh, two days before, I tore my ligaments on my ankle, and I had to, had to pull out, unfortunately, which, because Japanese, uh, Japan's like my favourite place in the world, it's, I love everything about it, and I love the wrestling there especially and um, the more I've gone there the, the more um, Jimmy and uh, and the Japanese like people running the shows have told me like uh, we just want you to do the British style so uh, I think I did a moonsault or something in a match and they were like we don't want you to do moonsaults or anything we just want you to to do the British stuff which is fine by me because yeah. it's, it's something that I love more than anything you're fantastic as well yeah. oh thank you um but going there and just doing that is it's a walk in the park like the last time i was there um i was on with another um so he was a young boy in wrestle one i met him then he picked me up from the airport but uh he's obviously been wrestling a couple of years now his name's uh Otomaro. and uh, I, I was happy to wrestle him because i was like that's the guy that picked me up in the airport so it's good to wrestle him now and he he was like really respectful and um, on that card there was 50 wrestlers booked on the show uh, and I was on second to last match oh my god so uh, I was so tired and like do you know when you just feel like you've got no energy um, but that's the one place where I, I go in and I'm completely re relaxed like the Japanese people appreciate the British wrestling stuff and and that's all they want. They just want me to do that stuff, and I can do that with my eyes closed. So you don't have to, don't have to remember a lot either. It's just it, no, it's it, muscle memory, isn't it? Yeah, you know how the body and, works, and, and, and literally, like I just go in there and just, just literally just plan like an end sequence with the guy, 
Um, and then the rest of the match is just in there, which I, which is just what they, that's how, the way they want it. And there's no point in going there and just planning like a, a spot fest because I'll just get told off. So it, the best way to do it is just see you in there. This is what we'll do for the finish, which is normally a backslide. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, a little fish out of water backslide. It's absolutely fine. I can do that with my eyes closed. Did um, you see a lot of Japan when you were up there? Did you? Oh, yeah, I've seen, yeah, yeah quite a bit now. Uh, obviously, when I stayed there the first time, I wasn't staying with like the, the TNA guys or anything. I was in a little little town called Kawasaki. And uh, it was a little tiny place, a little rubbish hotel, but then. Because I'd done so well the first time, I was then in like a big hotel uh, from then on, you know. Uh, and I've always been like really looked after since since my first time there. I always get taken out uh, and all my food bought for me and all my, like all the beer I could possibly drink. <laughs> Last time I was there, um, I actually did appearances with like uh, Road Warrior Animal. Like we would go to like bars and we'd sit there and drink and eat and then the fans would just ask him mostly questions you know and we'd have pictures with the fans and stuff so it, it became more than the wrestling you know what I mean it was yeah. like okay you've got an appearance today appearance here appearance there it becomes something more and uh, every time I go back there uh, the fans become like more and more like fanatical you know what I mean like just walking down the street you get stopped for pictures and stuff and they just love it out there it's like people in the restaurants know about wrestling everybody knows about wrestling so yeah, it's really good, and it's a place that I love. Are you going back up there? Um, I was asked to go again in September, but it clashes with my yearly vacation that I go mm. on after the camps. I need that time, you know what to, I mean? To recharge. Uh, to recharge, and obviously doing 10 shows a week in the summer. <laughs> I'm kind of burnt out from wrestling yeah. at that point. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it to miss this time. He's taking Robbie Dynamite over this time. Oh, that's great. And he's, been, he's been a couple of times now, so uh, he's doing really good out there. But again, it's just like having no expectations and then going to the place that I've always wanted to go and getting treated really well and, and them actually liking me as a wrestler was something that I never thought would happen. So, yeah, I, I love it out there, really do. What's uh, what's next then? If, I know you, we said the car, you don't really have goals. Or I, you just kind I've of... never had goals or anything like that. It's just literally, obviously, now I'm revving up for the camps. The camps are coming up. Um so I'll go to Scotland for, for two or three weeks first because their kids break up first, do the shows up with their, with their kid fight and, and BT Glenn does them and, and Stevie Boy. So I, I always love seeing them Scottish guys going really well with them. So do the couple of weeks up there and then it's back down here for the 10 shows a week on, on the Haven camps. And then get yourself that holiday while you're in the holiday. Yeah, time. holiday. Where'd you just, go? Uh, Tenerife mostly. Tenerife. Yeah, absolutely love it there. Go like, two or three times a year to like the same place and it, it's like going home so I think when I finish wrestling that might be the the place just retire there I was listening to uh, talk about Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan I was listening to Dorian Yates on the Joe Rogan podcast have you heard that one? I haven't heard that one no but there's a he lives in Spain so he's talking to Rogan and, and he asks where is he based and he says Spain and you can see Rogan's just mind-bottled by the fact he now lives in Spain. Yeah. Because I guess, like, if you're American, you, you go down to the Gulf of Mexico, you go to Florida, you go to all these... Yeah. Because America's so big. Yeah. It's like, why are you in Spain? And in my head, I'm going, he's British. Of course he's gone to, yeah. live, in, of course he's gone to live in Spain. <laughs> That's where everybody goes. Yeah. And in my head, like, if I had to choose somebody to go to South of France, it would be Spain. That's where yeah. I'm going to Italy or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. But Tenerife is just one of them islands, and it's 
it's mostly sunny there like all the time all year round so uh obviously rollable rocco is like a really good friend so going over there to see him and his family is is something i look forward to and then you got all the wrestlers that go out there and it's it's just like a big get together you know and and you can talk about like wrestling with them and like the old days and stuff like that yeah it's really good how I usually like to wrap these up then, Dean, is if you were to give your former self any advice, or if you were to give anyone coming into the business now advice, what would it be? Oh, it's... You can answer both of them, you can answer one of them, you can... So like you said before, like one of my favourite sayings is one that you said before, is like you never get a second chance at a first impression, you know, so that's always a big thing in and out the ring, um, especially when like meeting like the, the older wrestlers in the dressing room and stuff, like... The respect thing is something that go to some places and I feel like it's getting lost a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't know whether it's because the friends were like these older like these older wrestlers like on Facebook and they don't really feel like they need to give them that respect that they would have done like in my day. But like it's a really important thing. So uh, yeah, and when you go out there in front of a crowd, it's like impressions count. So that's always like the the big thing try and win them over the best that you can make make as many friends on the entrance as you can because then when you're in the ring they'll think oh that's my friend in there so they're going to cheer you on and that helps you through a match you know uh advice for myself is like maybe maybe one thing i definitely would say is like wrestling isn't like the be all and end all you know what i mean like don't take everything so serious it's one thing I did for so long and it's just like actually like it isn't there's more important things in the world than wrestling you know if you have a bad match it's not the end of the world you don't need to to dwell on it for weeks because you messed up something up in the ring it's it's really you just move on you know uh, the best experiences you can have is bad experiences you learn from them so that's definitely where I would tell myself where can they find you on the internet uh, Facebook uh, Instagram Twitter and it's, it's mostly my name Dean Allmark uh, my YouTube channel it's got over like 500 matches on there it is uh, a great place I do check that out yeah so uh, you can see all the stuff that we talked about today you can find on there there's a great one on there with you and uh, James from Real that's one of my it's like 30 minutes long I think it is oh yeah yeah it's a great one anyone's interested should definitely go check oh, that one out like I can't say, before I go like I can't say enough things good things about James Mason like from the age of like 17 he kind of took me under his wing and he was like Robbie was always like my big brother, but then as soon as I started doing them shows, like having an experienced guy like James on the shows was was a big change in my career. Like uh, when it comes to like the the British style and and the family shows, he's he, he's still the number one. You know, um, I couldn't say enough good things about him, and uh, and he's one that you'd think he'd be more places. You'd see him like at, like south sides and places like that. I think his style, like especially now, would go down a tree. You know, imagine like him and Doug at Progress; it would blow the roof off the place. So uh, yeah, that's that's something that I, f- I feel is a shame, but I couldn't say enough good things. He he's helped me so much in my career, and it's used to, uh, like I said before about looking at Johnny and the way it was with the crowd. Like I used to look at James and and the the entire like his smoothness and. And the way he was with the crowd, he's he's one person that I've looked up to up to more than anybody in my career. And he's definitely my mentor, so I couldn't say enough good things about him. That's great. Uh, Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Uh, um, 
and James is somebody as well I'm going to get on the show. He's already said yes, 100%. Oh, it's fantastic. He was amazing on the Colt Cabana one. I don't know if you've heard that one, but well, he said to me as well. He was like, he was like, oh, I had to hold back and I didn't get a chance to talk about certain stuff on there. And I was a bit yeah. like, let's do this. this yeah, but, yeah. I'm but I think he, he's at that stage now where he wants to get up there more. So, yeah, I look forward to listening to that one. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. No Cheers, problem. buddy. Thank you. How good was that? Do you know what I love? The the fact that like he's done so much. He's one of the most seasoned wrestlers in this country. He's been in Japan. He's been to America, he's worked for TNA, he was uh, somebody that of course to really keep in mind because he was doing extra work, but he's still so humble and he just loves wrestling and that's passion, you can hear every time he speaks about it. And I just love his, his take on things that he, he never ever expected too much from wrestling, so he's never been disappointed. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have goals, you shouldn't have aspirations, because of course you want to go to Japan, he, he did want to do America, it's just he's always wanted to just be a full-time wrestler and once he achieved that anything else that came after it was a bonus and i just enjoyed chatting with him i haven't met dean that many times i think i've met dean two three times but he's somebody that the moment we put the recorder on i got to sit down chat didn't really need to prompt up my notes didn't need to look at stuff and then about 30 minutes after i left he dropped me a text i was like we missed this out we missed that out and i was like I had these things in my notes, but because we didn't need it, because the conversation was so flowing and it was just so easy to talk to, I forgot to mention it. But I don't mind that because that means that uh, when I when I speak to Dean again or when I can get him on the podcast in a year, two years time, it means he'll have them stories for me to uh, branch off. He has an array of things that we can talk about going forward. So yeah, absolute pleasure to sit with him with Dean. He's he's got uh, one of the most one of the most unique stories. I think in British wrestling and uh, we also said as well I'm going to try to get James Mason on the podcast in the next couple of months and I know for a fact that will be an absolute treat. But yeah, big thanks for coming on the uh, podcast team and I look forward to having you on the podcast again. Of course, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to rate, subscribe, review, tell a friend, uh, do whatever you need to do to uh, help me get more listeners, make sure that more people can listen to Dean's story and other people like Dean. Um, and if you... If you do want to give us a cheeky shout out on social media, I'm at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter. I am Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster on the Facebook. And I'm at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. Or if you want to drop me a cheeky email, if you want to drop me a uh, a booking, a seminar, if you just want to drop me an email and tell me how much you're enjoying the podcast, all that can be done at flashmorgan at live.co.uk. But uh, yeah, I think that sums up another episode absolutely cracking chat with Dean uh, he's somebody as I said myself that I haven't had a lot of uh, a lot of run-ins in room but he's somebody that every time I have spoke to him he's passionate he's easy to talk to and he's got a great story so uh, big thanks to Dean for coming on the show big thanks to you guys for listening to the podcast it's always a pleasure to see those numbers going up and up and up and maybe this is somebody Dean that uh, maybe you like he said himself maybe you don't know him coming in but maybe this is somebody that uh, you've enjoyed his, his story this week and give me cheek, give him a cheeky shout out. Give uh, look him up on the look him up on the Twitter. Let him know. Let him know that his story was uh, was good. Let him know that you've enjoyed listening to his story. And yeah, all I have to say, I guess, is I've been Flash Morgan Webster. This has been Wrestling Friends, and it's always a pleasure, always a treasure. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. In a bit, people. 